process. So abolition seeks to undo the way of thinking and doing things that sees prison and punishment as solutions for all kinds of social, economic, political, behavioral, and interpersonal problems. So it's not simply decarceration, it's reorganizing the way we live our lives together. So I think we need to really understand our connection to it and how as long as we have this system of transition, none of us are safe. Saludos, this is Cristina Rivera, and I'm a minister at the Church of the Larger Fellowship, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, hope it builds your faith, and hope it gives you perspective to experience the power of Unitarian Universalism at work in your life. Enjoy the message. Wepa! Greetings, beloved. It is so good to be back with you for another episode of the Voices of Unitarian Universalism. We are here in our 10th season of The View. This is episode 404 of The View. It is great to be with you. I'm the Reverend Dr. Michael Tino. I am one third of the lead ministry team at the Church of the Larger Fellowship. And there is one thing that is super pressing and huge news in Unitarian Universalism that we should probably highlight as we begin our show today. Every fall, the Church of the Larger Fellowship appeals to you, our people out there in cyberspace all around the world, to help fund the work of our Worthy Now prison ministry. This year, we are doing that fundraiser on a site called DonorBox, but you can find it at clfuu.org slash fundprisonministry with hyphens between the words in fund prison ministry. We are seeking to raise $15,000 and we have major donors who have agreed to match uh, every dollar that we raise. And we're really, really grateful, those major donors, which if you want to be one of, let us know that too, because we'll take your help. But it's one of the things that brings us to our show today, because you might be wondering, what do you do? with that money that we raise. And you can learn at the website. There's information there. We are here today in part to hear the stories of what CLF does in our Worthy Now Prison Ministry. It is our show today to learn exactly how it is that we are saving lives of uh, over 1,700 incarcerated Unitarian Universalists every day. And the dedication that is required of staff and volunteers all around the world. So we should introduce our guests and get them on. So today we have with us Cyril Baird Jr., our prison ministry manager. We have Beth Murray, our prison ministry administrator. And we have special guest Bonnie Friedman, who is a CLF member, a longtime pen pal, and the secretary of the European Unitarian Universalist. Bonnie is joining us from Germany. And Bonnie had the, the wonderful experience that we're going to ask her to tell us about of getting to visit her pen pal in August on the trip to California and going through the almost unbelievable, unless you actually are deep in this work, in which case it's very believable, the almost unbelievable systems that isolate people, even people who are just trying to get a visitor. So let's bring on Sir and Beth and Bonnie 
Bonnie, do you want to tell us that story first? Sure. Yeah, I've been writing to my pen pals for about five years. And when I knew we were going to be in the area where he was incarcerated, I asked you guys first if visiting was recommended and possible. And he said, yes, absolutely. And I asked him and he was like, oh, please. He really, really, he hadn't had a visitor in 2019. And since that time also, his mom passed away and he wasn't even able to go there. So we started working on setting up the visit and going through all the hoops. And one of the things that became clear right off the bat was that getting the information we needed on his side and on our side was just not easy. It, it wasn't listed anywhere in a sort of a straightforward manner. He ended up finding out from other prisoners certain things that we absolutely needed to know, like what we were allowed to wear and what we were allowed to bring into the prison and not bring into the prison. Nobody in the official <laughs> visiting people told us anything about that. Yeah. With the help of CLF and also with the help of the cousin of my pen pal, we were able to make the visit happen, even though you apply and then we heard back, my husband was denied, no reason is ever given, maybe because he's German. And then we had to reapply and write a letter and then we got approved. And so I went online to make a, an appointment and then we got an email saying, no, visit denied, you had to do this a month ago. It's like, you guys just approved it and this is the week. <laughs> so. Luckily, there was a sympathetic visitors organizer in one of the offices at the prison, and he already knew the story because he had helped us along the way. And when I called him in tears, basically, and said, you know, this is it. I'm in Germany. It's not easy for me to get to California. On top of that, I'm living with cancer, so I had a reason for a compassionate visit. Hopefully, I'll be around a long time, but we don't know. Anyway... And the reasons from my pen pal side as well. He'd just been transferred to this prison. He hadn't had a visitor since 2019. His mom had passed away. And he was beaten up when he got to the new prison. Because he's a UU Buddhist and he doesn't fight back. And so when we met him, he's actually kind of like a big teddy bear. I was like, yeah, I can't understand why he got beaten up. Well, but it was really, really sad and hard. Anyway, we got there. We had a visit. and. It was amazing because we were allowed two hours at first and then it wasn't busy, so they let us stay for four hours. It had to be behind glass, which wasn't ideal. Um, it would have been really nice to give him a hug, but he's in protective custody because he got beaten up. He's in isolation. So these are some of the things that just kind of highlight how broken that system is and how hard it is for a person like him who's really trying to rehabilitate themselves to try to do that in that atmosphere. I wrote about it. I'm, a, I'm also a writer. I wrote about it for the EU newsletter and also for the CLF website. And I hope it moved a lot of people and will encourage people to become pen pals because it's life-changing, not just for the people in prison, but for us as well. Thank you so much for sharing that, that story. I'm hoping that now, sir and Beth, you might um, put that into a little bit of a larger context in terms of what we encounter in, in our ministry and then how that ministry fits into the larger system of the carceral state. 
and the, the project of our nation to dehumanize and isolate people. Um, yeah, I can tell you that many people who are put in solitary confinement are frequently not even allowed mail. So Bonnie, the fact that, that Tyler, you said was in segregation, there are some facilities that would not even have allowed mail to get to Tyler or to get back to you. So I, I'm just amazed at your, amazed is the wrong word. I'm just so grateful for your perseverance getting to see Tyler. I have a question. Do you and Tyler communicate by through an email portal? He now has a tablet. He had it only a little while when he first got to this new prison. And when he was beaten up, it was broken. And there's one person in the whole prison, and he's there one day a month who is responsible for that technology. So it took quite a while for him to get his tablet back. And we're trying to establish contact via the tablet, and it might even be possible through some through a program or an app that we can have phone calls. Or he's only allowed to have phone calls on Saturdays. So, yeah, how does he talk to his lawyer? Good question. But that's we're writing about that now. But most it's big letters. It's also complicated because I live in Germany and we need an American phone number, and yeah, <laughs> we're working on it. Sure. Yeah, I think I'm glad you brought up the question about the tablet and Bonnie, that you kind of expressed how difficult it is for uh, the incarcerated to get that extra level <clears throat> of connection. Uh, one thing that strikes me in this work is just the distortion that takes place from our, what we and in house call the free world. and the lives of those in our country who are incarcerated. So the access to communication with the outside, just that issue, for example. Um, so right now there's a large to digitize uh, communication. So incarcerated folks are having to have family members basically send an email package to the facility through a specific app that then reaches them. In some of these uh, facilities, the incarcerated members are forced to small windows of viewing. So for example, you might get sent a picture of your child. You might have a limited amount of views for that. You might be able to view it for five to 10 minutes. Uh, you may have to pay extra money to view it again. Um, so the tablets are often given for free through one company called JPay, for example likes to get out three prison tablets, yet the content of these tablets costs money, and that's where they make their capital. And essentially, you see members who are being released into essentially debt. You are forced to pay for communication or any entertainment, music, faith development. There are apps where you can access religious services, things like that over all of that customer. So it's just an extra way of both dehumanizing and separating those of us who are in what we call the free world and those to the incarcerated. Fine, so I was struck by your story in the way that you described that disconnection as it relates to nature, relates to the world 
that's around them. And then I'm curious to hear what you thought of not only moving through California, moving through our, our country here for the first time and seeing this great beauty there that surrounds these incarcerated folks and the reality of they're being completely robbed from them. Yeah, that was really hard. On the one hand, you're not entirely surprised. It's prison. There have been enough TV shows about what it's like in there to let you know that it's not nice. But the reality of it is heavy. California is all about <laughs> nature and beauty and the redwoods and the other trees and the beaches everywhere and forests and desert and there's so much. And the area where this prison is, is beautiful outside of it. And the contrast between that and the inside was really startling and heavy. It was just heavy that you had the feeling that there just was a disconnect, a total disconnect. There is no nature in that building. I told my pen pal afterwards, I wrote him that when we were leaving the grounds, we actually saw five deer grazing on the grounds. And he said, yeah, we don't see anything like that. He wrote back recently in here. I saw some seagulls through the window once. And yeah, that was really, really hard to hear. And it was hard to experience. I could actually read a little excerpt from what I wrote, if that would be okay. Oops. Yeah, <laughs> I write better than I speak off the cuff. <laughs> So we had to prepare for the visit and we had to get information from my pen pal about what was allowed. So there we were in our modest clothing with our little plastic baggies of what we were allowed to bring in, which was our ID, um, a an unopened packet of tissues. We could have brought some dollar bills in if we had been allowed to buy him some food from the vending machines, but we didn't bring much because we weren't. We were allowed to take a picture, which was a real blessing. And one electronic car key and one house key. That's it. Everything else you have to leave outside. No cell phones, no nothing. And we were prepared. We got ourselves ready. We arrived in, at the prison. Inside, we went through security, much like airport security. And just like airport security, even standing there knowing we've done nothing wrong, you feel nervous and guilty somehow. Would we be cleared? or turned away because we somehow missed a rule and didn't follow it, or because one of the guards was having a bad day or didn't like our looks. After we walked from the visitor's entrance building, we had to surrender our passports before entering the visiting area. Again came the feeling of being powerless and insignificant, of having no rights despite only being visitors there. And what struck me most was the inside-outside contrast. Outside the prison, one has beautiful views of a nearby body of water. And as we exited after our visit in the early evening, we saw five deer on the grounds eyeing us curiously. A sign on a tree outside the grounds advertised a studio apartment available in the area for, I kid you not, $3,850 a month. Inside, there's no access to this view of the water, let alone the deer, or the option of ever living freely in that area. Inside, behind walls and electronic wire gates and hallways painted pale prison beige, interrupted only by guards in khaki green, even visiting, one immediately feels the weight of this institution and its systems. 
We didn't see the cells or anything beyond the visiting area, but given that, it was painfully easy to imagine that if one regrets their mistakes and is seeking redemption and trying to become a better person, the environment in which one lives makes this hard right off the bat. That was what I wrote about the inside-outside contrast. Thank you. And I think it's important to say for people who might not know these things, some of the inside-outside contrast is on purpose. That states put prison facilities in gorgeous, far-flung rural communities as ways to both separate people from families who live in cities and also to make the rural communities beholden to the economic impact of the prison. So <laughs> some of that is on purpose. And I think it's important to say. So Beth, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the pen pal ministry? And, um, yeah. and then we can talk about the prison system in, in a larger sense with Sir. Absolutely. So the CLF and our Worthy Now Prison Ministry Program currently offers resources to more than 1,700 members who are incarcerated. And once a person becomes part of our congregation, the first thing that we do is we automatically register them to take an introductory correspondence course on Unitarian Universalism. And it is completion of that course that makes our incarcerated member eligible for a pen pal. So right now, of our 1,700 members, we have about just over 500 people who are already connected to a free world UU writer. And we have over 100 people who are just sitting on a waiting list. And we just do not have enough free world writers. So they sit for months. Right now, I was just working on pen pal connections this morning before the show. I made 19 new connections, but I was connecting people who became eligible, meaning they completed that class. We also asked them to fill out a pen pal application where they agree to our guidelines and the covenant and they have to agree to being respectful with their pen pal connection. And so once we get that pen pal application returned to us, their name goes onto this waiting list. So this morning I was connecting 19 new pen pal connections, but these are people who have been on the list since May. And we still have over a hundred names of people who have been waiting, more folks from May and people who have been waiting since June and July and August. So if you feel like you have time to write a letter, one letter a month, we sure would love your help. And you can sign up on the- Yeah, if you go to worthynow.org, and then I think it's slash, pen dash pals i'm pretty sure that's right is that right (laughs) (laughs) well we'll make sure it's in the notes for the show one of the reasons i wrote my piece was 
to publicize the program and that for the European Unitarian Universalists, we've spread it in our newsletter and our entire mailing list told me about the program and encouraged people to become pals. And one of our members actually also sent it to somewhere in the United States. So connections are being made and hopefully you'll have 19 more tomorrow. <laughs> you still in my heart. That's awesome. It's a life-changing experience for the pen pals on both sides. Sure. I'm hoping that you might bring us out a little bit into why it is that this ministry is so important in a society that seems to be enamored of incarceration and where that fits in our justice and liberation work. Yeah, so I'm a Parkerite. I'm a militant abolitionist. And I'm so happy to be in the CLF and an abolitionist church. And so when I say abolition, I just want to bring it and reasonable sense to a more uh, critical existence for definition of it. So abolition seeks to undo the way of thinking and doing things that sees prison and punishment as solutions for all kinds of social, economic, political, behavioral, and interpersonal problems. So it's not simply decarceration, it's reorganizing the way we live our lives together. And I think one thing I always want to point out that is that when you have a system of capitalism and criminalization, the great majority of us can eventually will be criminalized. So we are explicitly connected to those who are incarcerated now, both through our economic system, the production of goods within our system, as we just mentioned, the fact that many communities are essentially tied to these uh, facilities as the only place of income after their industries have been shipped overseas. And um, as we know, we have the UAW strike happening right now in Detroit. Many of those auto workers were actually retrained during the factory shutdowns. I remember this, the 90s and 2000s were retrained as prison guards. So I think we need to really understand our connection to it and how, as long as we have this system of transition, none of us are safe. And I think we are seeing that expansion of the system, even as these pressures from the pandemic, from this uh, global war, are causing that system to break apart. So, and I'll use an example in Nevada right now, there is advocacy quite happening because the prisoners, since the pandemic, food has been so restricted that in the Department of Corrections, there are prisoners incarcerated folks who are being forced to eat toothpaste, toilet paper, salt, to try to dampen hunger. In the Louisiana State juvenile facilities, there was a recent actual victory by the ACLU because it found that the children there had no air conditioning or suffering from heat stroke. Uh, so as these systems, I should say, our resources are under pressure by our scarcity system, at least for constriction on rights, and it leads to the most vulnerable of us being essentially pulverized. And folks really need to understand that that will expand. We are looking at a system where now you look at Nebraska, where a woman was recently sentenced to two years in prison for helping her daughter uh, acquire abortion pills in retaining an abortion. 
we have in Florida, Governor DeSantis has created an election police force arresting a 69-year-old woman at 3 a.m. because she filled out her application to vote incorrectly as a former mom. In Atlanta, we have RICO charges against protesters who are protesting the creation of a new police training facility. This model is hoping to be followed in many other states, these huge police training facilities that they're building. So they're building one of the Atlanta forests and it's being protested. Some of those protesters have gotten hit with the RICO Act, which knows that it's a huge sweeping indictment, criminal indictment. And some of the things that they've done, donating to bail funds, handing out flyers, self-publishing magazines. How many of you use listening to this right now, donated to a bail fund, have handed out flyers, have done anything like that in the last three years? So I think we really need to wake up and understand that these folks that our whole lives we have been taught are so removed, are all hidden in these far away places and rural areas that we've never heard of. They are us. We will be them. And it's time for us to wake up. Thank you, Stuart. I appreciate the context. And so into this system, people are also religiously, spiritually isolated. And we hear about that too. Bonnie, I'm wondering if you can tell us more about how you've supported your pen pal as a UU Buddhist who is incarcerated. Yeah, sure. We write about so many different things. He's gotten, I think, two college degrees in his time so far. <laughs> He's always reading stuff. We exchanged some stuff. We talked about the Buddhist traditions, and he asked me if I could find some information about the different holidays. And he wrote that he's been trying to organize services in the prisons where he was. Of course, he's not able to do that right now because he's in isolation. But we talk a lot about the ideas from questions and bring up questions that we have for each other about religion, life, the universe, and everything. So I guess I support him more generally as a, a spiritual person and specifically as a Buddhist, but we have had exchanges about the Buddhist faith. And he finds that it especially is important for him because it really helps the whole idea of detachment helps him survive. And he meditates and it helps him control his emotions and it helps him to basically survive those circumstances around him and to stay centered no matter what happens in his current reality, so. Thank you. Beth, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what CLF offers all of our incarcerated members who find that they are being spiritually isolated and religiously persecuted. Yeah, and, and before I do that, <clears throat> I do wanna say that trying to get resources mailed to our members has become increasingly difficult. Many facilities are concerned about drugs coming into the facility. The state of Texas for many, many years, for example, only allows 
white paper and blue or black ballpoint pen because they felt that drugs were coming in on cards, color. Something bounced back a couple of months ago because of a sentence had been highlighted and that's why it was rejected and it came back to the Boston office. And so now, as a result, many facilities, including Texas, have hired companies that scan the letters in many states, the state of Florida, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Texas. Mail is no longer allowed at the facility. You must send letters to a scanning company and they will scan your letter and it will either be sent electronically to the prisoner if they have a tablet or it will be literally recopied and remailed. So there is no longer such a thing as trying to communicate with our, our pen pals, our members, in a timely way, which is very frustrating. But let's just explain what we're trying to mail. So the CLF has a worship publication that's called Quest, which Bonnie mentioned a little bit earlier, and that is mailed about eight times a year. The UU World, which is published twice a year, we send that. We have a newsletter that is sent twice a year called the Worthy Now Newsletter. And when we send out the fall newsletter, and this newsletter is going to be mailed within a month or so, it will list additional correspondence courses that a person can then register for. One of the newsletters has a list of classes that you can take. The other newsletter lists some reading packets that we we send. And the rules of where to send this material, it's like a moving target. So at one point, North Carolina said, oh, well, magazines can be allowed at the facility. So great. But then mail starts to bounce back and they go, oh, mm, Quest, it's only eight pages. No, you're going to have to send that to the digital address. So we're changing the database again. So a lot of times prisons, are, no one seems to understand the rules that of the contracts that have been set up between these scanning companies and the prisons. So when you call for assistance to the prison to try to find out why did this piece of mail bounce back, the mailroom at the facility typically does not know. It took us quite a long time to realize that North Carolina, the contract that they signed with a company called text behind, the reason our mail was not getting through is because they require a first and last name in the return address location. Whereas another state 
also using text behind has a completely different contract with text behind and you don't need that name. So we just put the name Angus McLean, who's a famous religious educator from the 1930s and 40s. Angus is part of our CLF staff now and Angus's name appears on just about all of our envelopes regardless of whether a state requires it or not, because at any given time, the contract between the scanning company and a prison facility, that contract can change. And unfortunately, those changes are not communicated to the mailroom staff, to our incarcerated members, or to the people that are trying to send mail. So can you tell I'm frustrated? Yes. And again, I want to point out that all of these things are on purpose. Right. This is not the system is broken. This is the system is working as it was designed to isolate people from their lifelines of support, to cut them off from communities that would support them, to make it harder for people to write them letters. The system is working as designed. And then to funnel money into the pockets of people who get kickbacks for these contracts. This is on purpose. So we have just a few minutes left. So I just wanted to make sure if there's something that I didn't ask that you want to make sure you say. Bonnie, can we start with you? Uh Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to be on the show. And another thing I'm planning to do, actually, with Tyler's permission, is to float my writing to Yes Magazine, who we both subscribe to, and it also gives us a lot of good stuff to talk about. Spread the word as widely as possible about the good things we're doing to try to combat the not broken system that acts broken. <laughs> Thank you. Beth and sir. Well, thank you also for having us on. I care deeply about the prison ministry program and I admire the energy and the perseverance that it takes to stay in touch with our members. And Bonnie, I'm just so grateful for all that you're doing. Thank you. I'm just really encouraged folks watching to do essentially three things. Number one, connect to an abolitionist organization. Ours is a great choice, as you use, I would say, make that connection to someone who's there. The second thing is to educate yourself on how you're connected to the system locally. So there's always some piece of legislation or a facility nearby or some lawsuit or legal effort happening. I guarantee it next to you somewhere around abolition, around mass incarceration. In my home state of Ohio, we are voting on a, a bill to legalize recreational cannabis, which would bring down our rates of arrest, our rates of incarceration as a failed drug war. The third thing is to organize and vote in the interests of the changing. So all my life, people have been telling me, especially as a young black person, formerly young, and as a far left political figure, that I need to vote. I'm asking you to vote for the right things. 
So, for example, the vote I just mentioned, that I'm going to go and cast my ballot as I've been voting since I was 18, that we can have legal marijuana in our state, in Ohio. There is something next to you, something coming up at a ballot that will either turn back the funding for some of these programs, that will maybe redirect some of the funding away from our police systems that fill these prisons, or for politicians that will actually speak against us. I think that it's extremely important. We have to have radical change or radical failure. We cannot keep voting and organizing for centrist, neoliberal policies that just increase this problem. And I will be as frank as needed until we can do a shift. So that's what I would ask. Thank you. And there are ways to push our politicians to expand their imagination and their thinking about these things. I know when New York legalized cannabis, it was because of a few very courageous state legislators that was held up in our state government until the law was changed to expunge the records of people who had been convicted of cannabis crimes and to prioritize their applications for permits to run dispensaries. And so there were some reparations built in to the law. It wasn't maybe as good as it could have been, but they held up the law in the state legislature until they got something, which was pretty impressive. Well, thank you so much, all of you, for joining us. Until next week, this has been The View. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit clfuu.org backslash podcast for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review so that others can find us. Thanks again for listening.